we're preparing them not for the next job or college. We're preparing them for an 80-year life after they leave high school. Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, the podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, coach, and administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? On today's show, we're going to talk about the changing role of high schools. With me today is David Jaffe, a veteran principal and district administrator with a wide range of experience in education. David, welcome to the podcast. I think uh, listeners should probably know you and I have known each other for a little while. Um, for many years, as a matter of fact, you were, uh, you were on my first interview panel mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. in the San Diego district, mm-hmm. uh, when I didn't get hired. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, and then we later got a chance to work together when, uh, when you were principal of Torrey Pines. And, um, so before we get started, why don't, can you, you've got a pretty diverse background, so can sure. you kind of uh, guide us through, give us an update, uh, on where you are now and what brought you to where you are now? Sure. So um, thanks for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. And even though I didn't select you for the uh, the, the first interview, um, having the opportunity to work with you, uh, and it, I just I enjoyed every minute of it. So, um, well, so, that makes one of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Glad our relationship hasn't changed. Not at all. So I, I currently I'm currently principal of Vista High School, uh, but much of my career was in the San Diego district, and I was the um, started out as a teacher. I uh, was an assistant principal at Costa Canyon High School, um, then moved to the district office and was director of curriculum for four years, um, left the district for a little bit, went off to a private school, uh, learned a whole lot about the private world, private schools, and um, gave me a good experience there. Came back to be principal of Torrey Pines High School and then moved on to be a superintendent. Uh, when I got done with the superintendency, I had most of my career been working in affluent uh, communities. And the superintendency was Rancho Santa Fe, so it's a pretty affluent area, or right. it is an affluent area. Yeah. Um, and and through that experience, um, I, I came to appreciate the role of the community in schools, um, and came to um, take that experience with me to to see if I could actually apply what I learned into a community that had some higher needs. Um, what I came to find in going to Vista High School is that um, the community itself, there's a really strong sense of pride. And, the, and that school is the center of their community. Right. And when things are going well, it, it's a rallying point. And when things have some challenges, like with COVID, um, you know, that, those types of things, um, it becomes the center of, of, you know, like trying to bring people together. Yeah. But the expectation around what schools can actually do uh, for, high school students. I think it varies from place to place, but ultimately at its heart, um, I think the a, a school could be the the heartbeat of a community. Yeah. And, and it's safe to say you've kind of seen it all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you glossed over one piece of this a little bit that I want to kind of dive into because, and I, I was kidding earlier. I had, a, I learned a lot yeah. from you and I loved working with you. It was, it was uh, really a lot of fun. It, it, you know, I'm sitting in your old office right now. And in fact, we just had a tour and I was telling them that I was going to uh, talk to you today about that and that, that whole 
transition because um, they were asking why did Brett leave mm -hmm. um, before and all that. And I was going through because a, Bre a better principal came and take his space. Oh no, that's not how that works. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, she, it was mm -hmm. funny. The parent legitimately asked, like, well, why did why did the principal leave the school? I'm like, oh, well, he went to a district position and then went back. He didn't like leave Tory Pines yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that sort of thing. Anyway. But, um, which is an interesting point because, you know, when I left Tory Pines to be a superintendent, I just did the, the next step up. Right? right. In retrospect, um, I loved the job at Tory Pines. So. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a great job. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, I'm very fortunate to be here and I wouldn't be doing this without the influence um, and what I got to learn from you from those, uh, from those years with you. Um, but what I, it, when I was coming up with the idea for this uh, particular episode, I've been thinking a lot about it because just as you're saying through COVID and everything, I, I watched how important Tori was to, to the community and, you know, students were hurting, families were hurting. And then now that we're out of it, we're coming back and our football games are absolutely out of control. I've never seen crowds this big and it's amazing to see. And people are walking around in shirts that say, you know, Ed Burke field is the place to be. And mm -hmm. they made, they made custom mm -hmm. shirts, mm -hmm. just incredible. And it, um, but it reminded me, you have an incredibly unique experience that you got to open a school. Correct. And in particular, one of the top schools in the country, Canyon Crest Academy, where our good friend Brad is now principal. Yeah. Who was also on the podcast a little while back. Um, but I want to kind of hear about that because I think that gives you an insight very few principals get. <laughs> Opening a school is unique and you really get a sense of truly what that school is going to mean to that community and the legacy you're building early on. So I kind of wanted to hear a little bit sure. about your experience starting Canyon Crest. Well, when I started it, I was a, a third or fourth year administrator. Um, I had two years as an assistant principal at the middle school level and one year as an assistant principal at high school. Most of my career was at the middle school level. So I didn't have a lot of high school experience. You're kidding. No, not at all. And so in, in retrospect, as they, you know, one of the one of the ladies that that uh, um, she was the associate superintendent of instruction, Penny Cooper Francisco. She, um, I remember her coming to me saying, putting an arm around me and saying, "David, um, I have a 34 year old son that I won't even let use the microwave, and we're giving you a hundred and three million dollar <laughs> school. Don't screw it up." So I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah. But luckily, I didn't know a whole lot at the time. What I did know, though, from the beginning, is really. I think a lot of my personality is this job is about people. It's about making connections with people. It's about giving folks a common, um, a, a, a common interest to, to move forward with that type of thing. So in starting the school, it didn't even exist. There was a, it was a tomato field. I remember right. the, the, one of the first, um, presentations I did a parent presentation. I was at Degenio middle school and there were about 50 people in the audience. And someone asked me the question, they asked a bunch of questions, but one of the questions was, where is the school? <laughs> and actually at the time the road hadn't been built, it hadn't been cleared out yet. And I had never been there. So I had no idea. So I said, well, it's somewhere in the Carmel Valley area. So I'm sure that gave them a lot of confidance, but very admin answer, yeah. be as vague as possible. But but when we opened the school, one of the benefits we had is we had the chance to open it um, one grade at a time, ninth grade one year, 10th grade the next. And we added added grades. And we actually opened the school in the parking lot um, of what, while the school was being built behind us. So we were in this temporary facility. And it was a, it, I think I just did a good job putting it together, but it was pretty janky. Yeah. But I, I knew then uh, when we were, there were, uh, the admin building was a four, a four wide trailer. Um, with no offices and we had 10 people working in there oh. and uh, we had you know the assistant principal suspending a kid with one and 
and the counselor talking to a, a kid who's crying in the other, and we're all together in one office. And I knew that as difficult as it was to manage, it would be a memory for people that they would, they'd have the rest of their life. And to this day, I run into, you know, they're men and women now, but who were students at, there at the time. Yeah. And their greatest memories are that starting moment. And I think that's really important because as schools, um, uh, in a high school environment that four years a student has, um, really does do a lot to shape the next stage of their life. And it's all, what they're experiencing is most of it's all novel and they tend to remember it the rest of their life. Uh, like I'm 53 years old now. I can't remember what happened between 40 and 53, but I certainly know everything that happened in the 70s and the 80s. So, because it's all new and a novel experience. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I share that. Like I said, I had a tour today and I share that with families regularly that there's, there's something unique about high schools, uh, especially American high school, where, you know, we go to our reunions. We don't <laughs> think about going to a middle school reunion or a college reunion, but for some reason, we go to our high school reunion. And there's those first four years of life that are so influential, and then the four years of high school that mm -hmm. have a huge impact on who we are. And that was the the community piece. So that I was thinking about because that um, you know when you were principal here, uh, the pressure that families feel, and I saw that today. You know, my eighth grade parents come in, and I'm like, how many are new? And they all raise their hand, and I give them to do a big deep breath because they're scared out of their mind about what's going to happen at this large comprehensive site and what it means to them. So when you were opening Canyon Crest, you, I, I, I can't believe how long we've known each other. And I didn't know that you had one year as a principal before you opened up CCA, but did you get a chance? I mean, were you involved in colors and, yeah. and the, the, the mascot and what the ethos of the school was going to be? Yeah, we did everything. So we went with the, you know, created the mission, vision, values. Um, we had a, uh, a, it was an interesting little story. We did a mascot. Um, the students got to select the mascot. And so we selected the mascot. We went through a whole voting process and they came up with, this is funny, the colors and the mascot. They came up with the Panthers and red and black. <laughs> and turns out now I'm the principal of the school, the Panthers, Vista High Panthers that are red and black. So that lasted for three days and then we went oh wait vista high school now i'm the principal at school so that's a little serendipitous <laughs> wow. that's pretty serendipitous but but we went through that and i remember we did the we did a competition for the logo mm. and this was uh, fascinating so we did a competition for the logo but it was open to the entire community so we had all sorts of people submitting but but we had a bunch of students that submitted and ultimately we selected uh, a student gary cronenberg i think it was his name and uh, um, and we selected Gary over a parent or a community member that was a graphic artist that didn't get selected. And she wow. wrote a scathing six, <laughs> six page single space letter about how, how can you not select me, which is kind of funny. But um, the reason I think it's, it, it resonated with me is it was, we brought the students into the design of the school and the building of the school from the very beginning. That's one of the ways in which I sold it. And when I was talking to families is there's not many, high school kids that have the opportunity to have a voice in the creation right. of an environment that's going to last for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And this school has gone through any number of iterations and changes along the way, but they have always retained the importance of culture and that we need to make sure that we're connected to our students and the students are connected to each other. And we have a, a, a represent the community that we, we exist in. So, so did you get a chance then to, 
would assume you had some community groups coming in talking about what they wanted out of the school and that sort of thing. Cause uh, you know, most of us get this job and we're inheriting a culture Yeah, and we know, like I, I was fortunate having gone to Tory, I knew kind of what it meant to the community, but it was a very different community when I went here than once Carmel Valley expanded and became a, a different area and the school had changed. So, um, did you get a chance to really engage with what the community was looking for out of the school, especially considering you had Tory just two miles down the road? Yeah, I, I did. Um, in a, in a few different levels, um, they had done a community, uh, survey in 2000 and I opened the school in 2004 and the community sort the district did a community survey and they said what they wanted in a school. So I had, um, they had already identified arts and technology as a focus for the school. Okay. Um, uh, and they, at the time, thought that they wanted to run it similar to the other San Diego Academy that was, you know, they wanted to keep it small and, and yeah. all of that. And kind of a boutique type of school. And the, one of the intentions of it was to lessen the population at Torrey Pines, because I think Torrey Pines at the time was 3,300 students or 3,400 students. So, so there was that going into it. Um, once we started, though, um, we, we had an initial 363 families. And... There's a certain type of person that rolls the dice and sends their kid to a school that doesn't exist against a school that's, you know, renowned across the country and actually the world. Um, and so there's a certain, you know, like a, that, that pioneering spirit that I think was in the school. And we capitalized on that. And the students that the students that came, that we really empowered them early on to say, this is your you're going to set the legacy and the culture of the school for the next you know, 20, 30 years. And they they stepped up and they they were really involved and so uh, we we had advisory committees that we set up uh, for the different pathway programs that we were looking to bring onto the campus. We had an arts advisory committee. Um, they got a uh, there was a the um, secondary program grant from the state of California for a specialty program and that's how they did, developed the conservatory over there, which is an oh, okay. arts after school conservatory. Right. And we had an advisory committee for that. We had advisory committees for the development of the humanities program and, and, and so on. So number of, and the science and, and all of that. Um, we, uh, we, we brought on, we involved students in all of that, in, in that process. We also brought on, um, for, as we were looking to develop, we were looking at engineering programs and needed an advisory program for that. And I actually used the model that we used over there when I got over to Torrey Pines, because mm. we were looking to develop an engineering program at, at this school. And um, the question was, were we going to buy an off-the-shelf system or were we going to develop it ourselves? And ultimately, through the community connections that we had, we had parents here that worked at, you know, at the Qualcomm's and the Illumina's and all that. And they... Right. They gave us some really good insight on how to how to build that. So we really relied on our community to help help direct the school with with the focus that we had. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about that in 2004. There's there was a chance you and I would have worked together earlier because I was at Orange Glen at the time, mm -hmm. and so I'm in year five uh, teaching video production. My sister called me and said they're opening up a new school and they're going to have these video programs down there. You should come down and be in uh, our district because she wanted. Uh, uh, my nieces to be able to take my class or something like that. And, uh, and uh, so it, it's, there was a slight possibility that well, wouldn't that have hired I would, me. But. That, that I would have hired you for. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's so interesting to think of that tiny world that we yeah. still ended up uh, working with each other. But um, 
I remember that distinctly thinking I've got, do I want to go down to this brand new school or, and, or leave this comfortable job that I've kind of got at North Glen? I'm glad I, I'm ultimately glad I stayed, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just interesting to think how uh, our, our t- worlds connect. Tiny little world. Yeah. And, and I think it's, that's an important thing to note, especially in San Diego, but I would say probably education in, in communities that are tight communities. Um, it, it's, it's the, the degrees of separation between us are very small. Yeah. And we are all connected in all this. And so, you know, from a, a perspective of a high school and what a high school can do for a community, it serves the community it, it's in, but it also is part of a greater, a, a bigger picture in, in a city. And, and San Diego schools, I mean, what do we have? Uh, 24 high schools in the North County, and we all meet on a regular basis to talk about the issues that face, we're faced in our schools. We're, we're pretty well connected. Well, some of us meet more often than others because I don't know if I made the last two meetings, so That's I apologize. Right. Yeah. You're, you'll be fined for that. So. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Good to know. Um, so um, I, when I was prepping for this, I decided to jump in and uh, just do a quick Google of the role of a high school, mm-hmm. because I think um, especially during the, the pandemic, that became a question. There was an assumption that high schools are one thing. Uh, on the part of parents, I work with uh, teachers all the time who say, but I'm, I'm doing this. Why don't the parents understand that? And I think there's still some disconnect. And even Google is showing some disconnect in, in, in this whole thing. So I, I Googled it. Let me see if I can find it here. And the first hit when it comes up on Google, and if you're listening right now, you can do this yourself and you'll see it. Um, so type in role of high schools and it will say high schools prepare students for the real world. <laughs> and I just started to laugh and I go, really? <laughs> I don't know that that's what most people think we're supposed no. to be doing. Certainly not now. So um, do you, uh, in, in your experience, do you, I mean, was that part of the design of CCA when you started or even when you got to Tory? I mean, has that been your experience? I think the best way that I could describe this is um, the real world is different for everyone and what that real world actually looks like. My father a, was a contractor and in the building world. His experience in the building world was much different than my experience in education, which is much different than my uncle's experience as a vet. You know, there's the real world is different for everybody. From the beginning, though, I think the role of a high school is to take students in those formative years and get them to understand themselves, who they are as people, how they manage the challenges that they, you know, face in high school give them the tools to overcome obstacles they're going to face, start them on a path in something that they're interested in. Hopefully they can develop a passion for something that they can follow later, but also recognizing that we're preparing them not for the next job or college. We're preparing them for an 80 year life after they leave high school. Right. And that 80 year life, it's not just about a job. It's about you know, their own sense of self. It's about their relationships that they have, their significant others that they have in their lives and how they manage the challenges associated with that. So what are we doing in the high school environment to prepare them as human beings for the next phase of their life? And I think that's, that's really our, our role. So that leads, well, you've kind of hit it a little bit, but I wonder if you expand, like, what do you wish parents knew about the role of the high school? So I do feel like, at least from my experience, there's been a little bit of a disconnect. There's been you know, you were there to teach content and to help them get into college. And as I share, I, I, I steal or paraphrase this quote from Citizen Kane all the time with parents when I meet them. 
and there's a classic line in there um, that says, there's no trick to make a lot of money if all you want to do is make a lot of money. And I say the same thing about getting into a college. All you want to do is get into a good college, not a trick. Uh, you can do that, but at what cost? Getting into college is not the, the, the issue. Is the student going to be successful in college? Should the student go to college? Maybe college is not for them. And what are they going to do after that? Are they going to be happy, healthy, and independent after that? And so when I looked at the, the, the role of a, of a school in the community, that's where I was starting to see the disconnect. Mm -hmm. I think you and I, I completely agree with everything you said. I love this, this idea of uh, you're preparing for the other 80 years of their life. I'm going to immediately steal that, by the way. <laughs> you um, can. <laughs> but... Um, I'm going to copyright it, put it on t-shirts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll sell it on the website. For that's the podcast. great. Wonderful. Um, but I, that's, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm also answering my own question. That's what I want parents uh, to hear uh, that it isn't just, we're not just using these four years to try to get them into that top notch college or, uh, you know, whatever's going to happen after high school. It is that other 80 years. And, and I think, we get myopic a little bit about these four years and that creates a lot of stress for everybody. And, and ultimately that stress gets onto the kids yep. and that's what makes it difficult for them to succeed. Yeah. So I think we just need to look at what happened to the world during the pandemic. And um, I think the, the listeners that you have here, just think of your own families and um, people fell apart. They fell apart. Families fell apart. Relationships fell apart. People's mental health suffered. We know all of the awful things, the suicide rates, the, the, the met levels of depression, the alcohol use. I mean, all of these things increased exponentially. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it was one of the hardest times, in, in that, certainly the hardest time I can remember, and certainly in education. Easily. Uh, um, that had nothing to do with what they learned in high school. That had to do with how do I manage my own life? How do I manage the, my emotions? How do I, the relationships I have, do I have real strong relationships? Am I going down a path um, of fulfillment in the work world that I'm in? I mean, how many people change their careers after that? Right. And what I would suggest is this with our families, when you're raising your kid and you're bringing him to high school, the end goal is not for them to get to college. Uh, I joked when I was principal here, I used to joke that the end goal is not only do they go to college, they leave college, they go get a job and they don't move home with you. I mean, that's, that's the <laughs> yeah. end goal. Yeah. And they're happy, you know, or as happy as you can be. But, but I would say that uh, if we can, as, along with our community, along with our parents as a school system, if we can really look at the whole child and developing them as human beings and not focus solely on the achievement, the, the, right. the goal of college or the, I'm going to get this job. The job in and of itself, most people, especially in this generation, they're going to change jobs, you know, multiple, multiple times. Their path to whatever job they're going to, some of the jobs, they don't even exist right now. Many of them probably don't exist. But they're going to know, if they know themselves as people, if they have the skills, um, uh, the analytical skills that you develop in high school, they have the problem-solving skills and that they develop in mm -hmm. high school, they develop interests in things that open their minds to continuing to learn. They're way better positioned. And I can't tell you, and you know this to be true, I can't tell you how many top students I've come across 
that have gone off to their colleges wherever they are and they come home after the first year. Yeah. And there is nothing more devastating to a, a, a young person's psyche than not being perceived to be successful at this dream school where they probably shouldn't have gone to begin with. So, Right. It's the dirty little secret of, of college acceptance mm-hmm. is the dropout rate after freshman year or the gap year after freshman year, or whatever spin we put on. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm glad students are making that decision if that's the right one for them. Mm-hmm. But it should give us a little pause and say, okay, we spent 18 years helping the student um, uh, essentially get a degree in getting into college. And then they got there and they're not sure why. And, and the other other thing I try to educate our families on and parents on is um, if you your role as a parent is not to get remove all of their obstacles. That's not the role of a parent. Your role of a parent is, um, and I'm a parent too. I have two daughters myself. I have one in college. She's a, you know, going to be 19 and I have a 15 year old in 10th grade. And I, they're actually part of my story too. I might allude to later in this podcast, but, but, um, the, the, the role of a parent is to guide, guide their, guide their, their child and to let them know their family values and, 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 and provide support to them and encouragement to them. And those times when they don't believe in themselves as the parent, you can help them with that. But removing all of their obstacles and not having them ever have to deal with any challenges or, you know, gosh forbid, they end up in a, with a C in a class, you know, and some of the more high-performing schools, a C is like you know, the, the death penalty, you know, in the scope of the kid's life, how they manage the C in their own mind is going to say more about who they're going to be as an adult than the actual grade that they earn. So. Yeah. I had a conversation with a parent about that today. There was a discipline issue and they were concerned about how it was going to look long-term. And I tried to remind them that colleges are struggling now to find, you know, college wants one thing and that's a graduate. They want students to go through and graduate now on a selfish reason for selfish reasons, partly because a graduate is more likely to donate back to the school, right? They're going to be donors, but they also want their kids to succeed and get through kids. They're adults. <laughs> kind of stop referring to college students as kids, yeah. but you're getting um, older though. You can do that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody's a kid now, yeah. um, but they want them to, to finish and they've learned, you know, parents think, well, if they, take 15 AP classes, they will get into school and they'll be great. And the college will have to take them. But we know that college recruiters are looking at these kids with, you know, perfect, you know, 4.7 GPAs and all these AP classes and going, has this kid struggled with anything? What's going to happen if they get a C in college? Are they going to crumble and leave? The students who have gone through some challenges, maybe had a discipline issue, got the dreaded C, Mm -hmm. you know, at, at, at Torrey Pines and then, you know, turn that around. Here's a kid with some resilience. They're more likely to take a chance on that kid. And that's something I don't think we always want to talk about. We think we've got to have what I call the perfection paradox. If it's not perfect, it's not going to work. And so they mow everything out of the way and the kids never struggled and they get that first C and they just don't know how to um, function. Yeah. This actually is a good moment for me to talk about just personally what I've gone through. So my, my older daughter, who's um, she's at Colorado State, uh, she's a zoology major and wants to be a vet. Her whole life has been dedicated to animals, but uh, her journey uh, through school, uh, she had a hard, hard time making friends in elementary school, really didn't make any friends in elementary school, was ostracized. Um, uh, she had some uh, uh, you know, OCD and some other things that, that kind of got in the way. Um, we actually homeschooled her uh, for about a semester in her fifth grade year. Um, 
to give her a chance to reset. And when we brought her back into the school, she wanted to go back to school. We, we went to a different school that was not as um, the school that the elementary she was at was that kind of that high performing and everyone's going to be a, you know, a, a neuroscientist and all right. that kind of stuff. Um, but we brought her to another school that was a little bit more like looking at the whole child. And she had a really good year there. Um, middle school was a little difficult because middle school at its best is difficult. Exactly. Got to high school and then COVID hit. And what was interesting, she, in her first two years in, in high school, she was nervous. I mean, she, she had a hard time. She still wasn't making friends, but she was trying hard in class, but it just was, it was a struggle for her. Mm -hmm. um, and then COVID hit and she had a chance to uh, let the, uh, the pressure um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Let the pressure subside yeah, of school, release. that, that high performing school and the pressure subsided. And she got to work really in a, in a safe environment for mm -hmm. her and she blossomed in her grades. And it gave her an opportunity to actually go get a job working in a vet and working. For, I mean, oh, she, wow. she had all sorts of different opportunities that have really helped to shape her. Well, fast forward and now she's in college and she's making friends and she's, ha she's really, she's happy. She has a major, she's doing adult, adulting at, at college that I, you, I, there's no way I would have ever believed it. I say that um, everybody, every family is different. Uh, and then I have the other daughter, the younger daughter who's been born with some physical issues and her legs and challenges that she's faced. And I've had two daughters that have gone through challenges and they're stronger young, you know, my older one's a young woman now. She's a stronger young woman for having gone through the challenges. And my younger one is going to be a strong woman too, as a result of that. So moving the obstacles out of the way is actually detrimental to the student. And you mentioned Charlotte. That's the other uh, thing we happen to have in common. We both have daughters with the same name. We both have a Charlotte. My daughter doesn't look like you, so that's good. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But it's a solid name. It's a saying. solid name. Yeah. It's great. So, um, you know, I've, I've worked in a few different environments. Um, Torrey Pines High School, Canyon Crest, this is certainly a more affluent community. The Vista community is a blue collar, hardworking community, um, low socioeconomic. So we have about 80% of our students on what would be, you know, the free and reduced lunch, even though everybody gets free yeah, and reduced lunch. Now. That, yeah. um, and the, and COVID absolutely annihilated the community. Yeah. It hit that community harder. I mean, we were, we were at, um, when, when it hit, we were given out, you know, 14, 1500 food, you know, food distributions a day. It was, it was rough. Um, and I used the same philosophy with the students at that school that I did here at Torrey Pines. And I didn't know I was doing it at Canyon Crest because I was too new in my career, but that's what I was ultimately doing. I don't care what, you, what your path is after high school. I want you to have a plan. I want you to have really thought about what that plan is going to be based on who you are as a person and what you've learned about yourself. And I think it's our obligation in the school system, along with our, with the parents to help students really find out who they are. And I don't mean in the, the, you know, the, the, um, the fantasy way, you know, like, you know, You're the, making the, fun the, of the seventies. Yeah. Not the, the, I, I really mean for, you for mean the way my parents, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. The me generation, the, the kumbaya and all this kind right. of junk. Um, I, I mean, in real substantive ways, um, uh, the, it, if I would have known, um, who I was as a person, there are career choices I wouldn't have made 
Yeah. Um, there are ways in which I would have led schools differently. Um, I'll give you one, one specific example. I learned about myself that I had the incessant need to be liked. And when you're in leadership, that's a difficult thing because yeah. you can't make everybody happy along the way. As a matter of fact, up. as a matter of fact, you followed me as a principal here. So you could, you could identify the ways in which I, my leadership led to some of the challenges that, that you faced. But it also became one of the things that was really detrimental to me in my own, um, uh, my own journey. Um, and COVID, you know, actually the death of my uh, stepdad and then, and COVID really exacerbated this. Yeah. And, I wish I would have known myself better. I could have managed it different. If I had spent the time learning who I was as a young man and really incorporate that into my, my path moving forward, I could have saved myself a whole lot of heartache. So I, I think it's a great point. And, and, you know, for the record, we share that I, I have one of my struggles when I took over the chair from you was I had been a well-liked, you know, popular AP. I had been there seven years. I'd gone away for a year and came back and kind of came in thinking, Oh, great. This will be a soft landing. Um, you know, David set me up well. I learned a lot from Brett. I've now got the experience from another district. And I came in thinking I was going to be all popular. And I'm not kidding. The first week, I had two math teachers uh, make me cry. Mm -hmm. Like I, I went home and said, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. They were terrible to me. Yeah. And they were upset about master schedule thing, which was, of course, your fault, yes, by know. the way. No, it wasn't. It was a whole thing. Um, I'll, but, I'll take some of that responsibility. <laughs> you know, these were two uh, math teachers I had gotten along with for a long time. And they just kept, they accused me of being a liar, like right out of the gate. And I was not prepared for that level of, yeah, we really don't like you. We mm -hmm. wish you weren't here all mm -hmm. of a sudden. And um, that is tricky when you got, you know, 130 uh, certificated staff members, all dedicated teachers, and they've got their opinion on on uh, how you should be doing your job. That That was a difficult thing to manage. But Getting back to what you're talking about with um, with high schools and finding out who you are, that was my feeling too in high school is it was this opportunity. I showed up here. I kind of thought I wanted to get into film and television. We didn't have it here at Tory, so I went into theater and I challenged, I did that. And by the, you know, you're a very different person from 14 to 18. And it felt like a very normal, traditional high school where you went there, you figured out what you were good at, and then you followed that later. And I feel like that's been flipped a little bit. We figure out what you're good at at three and we make sure you do that all the way through. <laughs> so you're an expert by the time you start applying to college. And then you're miserable doing what right. you never really had a choice to do to begin with. So. Right. I just, I mean, yeah. at the tour, I had a doctor come up to me and he goes, I'm a doctor. Can you please tell the kids they don't have to major in science if they want to go into medicine? Yeah. I go, yeah, that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but, and that's kind of that old fifties and sixties approach, uh, to, to the high school. Like everybody went to high school and then that was it for most kids. Some went off to college, most went off to work. And then little by little, it looks like in about the eighties, that's when it all changed where everybody's got to go to college. By the time you got to the nineties and two thousands, if it's not a top tier college, you know, then what? And, and, and I mean, the other reality is if you don't have means and you go to college and you get student loans. You're paying one hundred sixty thousand dollars for a four-year degree. That's a tough way to go into life when you have one hundred sixty thousand dollars in debt. And if you want to go on to you know grad school, there's another hundred you know x thousand. And if you go to med school, I mean, by the time you're done, you use six seven hundred thousand dollars in debt. So I hope my you, daughter you, Charlotte just heard that because she's a 
um, uh, Oregon right now, and it'll be exactly one hundred sixty. Yeah, I mean, it, it really done. is. Yeah. And and it, it'd be a bummer to go all the way through that and find out at the end of it. Yeah, I didn't really want to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I don't really like political science. Yeah, after I, all. I don't yeah. know why I went into this. Yeah. So. Oops. Yeah. I'm, I write for a newspaper. I don't even like writing. So <laughs> why am I doing it? So. That's funny. My my son literally said that. He goes, "Yeah, he's majoring in journalism. Doesn't like it. He goes, that's a lot of writing. It's a lot of writing. Right there in the name, Nick. <laughs> right there in the name." Yeah, it's funny. So uh, I was just to extend a little bit. So when I the community that I that I work for now, I, I tell the, the the families and the students, I don't. It doesn't matter to me what you choose after high school, whether you decide to go right into a four year university or you're going to go to two year to four year, uh, two year to save money and go to a four year and you have a particular major you want to go to, or you want to go to trade school. I mean, I run. We have CTE uh, career technical education programs that are brilliant absolutely brilliant our auto program we have a junior rotc program that um that the leadership that's taught in that is some of the best leadership i've ever seen in school systems um we have uh, a, a video game design we have all sorts of different areas that kids when they're done they can not even when they're done they're, they can get jobs right now yeah so they have certifications to do that um and for some kids sitting in a classroom and going to school for another four years it doesn't make sense to them um, they might have family circumstances where they need to go out and work. Well, if you're going to go out and work, if you have something you're interested in, you can go find a job in the area that you're interested in. So, but that takes a really intentional effort to understand who you are um, and have a plan for what's next. And I think the school system can help guide them into that. Yeah. And I, it's great to hear that your CT programs are so robust because we did a podcast not too long ago uh, about just that because I think a lot of people misunderstand. They think, oh, the shop class is gone. It's not. It's way better than it ever was. Used to be these little, use your term, boutique classes out in the back and they would tinker around on a car. Not anymore. It's a pathway. They're getting uh, actual certifications and um, it's been great to see. And I wish I had had more of that in high school because I was one of those kids who it was, there was no question I was going to have to go to college. It just was not something that was I've even allowed to discuss. And to this day, I prefer working with my hands. And yet here I am in education doing all these things. Maybe that's why I started a podcast because it's something I can produce and put yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to make something. Mm -hmm. And it even happened when I was in grad school and I tried to get a, a master's in um, mass communication. And the professor said, you're going to hate this. And I said, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. I, I majored in film. I'll be good. He's all, no. Uh, you majored in film where you made things. This is all theoretical. I lasted literally one session of one class. This advisor was absolutely right at state. And I quit that night. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, because I asked, can I make a documentary at the end? They said, no, you're writing an essay. I'm like, but, but I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> so um, I, I really want families and even educators to hear that too. Because I think our, our teachers sometimes hear that, uh, get caught up in the, but I'm preparing for college, preparing for college, preparing them for college. How do you know that kid's going to college? Are are you teaching them? Are we teaching content? Are we just trying to get them into be a biology I, major or and, are we trying to teach the kid? And I would say change the, I'm preparing him for college to I'm preparing him for life. Yeah. And in the real world, the real world isn't just about job. The real world is it's messy. A life is a messy life. Doesn't matter how you start or where you start. Uh, you could come from the most affluent family in the world, but have all sorts of challenges along the way. Just you never know what's coming. How do you manage the stuff that life throws at you? And if we invest our time in developing students for who they are as people, 
and preparing them, like I said, for the next 80 years, um, I think that's really a, a good use of our time. Uh, the teachers that are the the mindset of a professor, the high school teachers that are the mindset of a professor, mm -hmm. my content is the single most important content and all that. It may be true, you know, in the 80s or 90s and all that. 90% of what kids learn right now isn't in the school system. Right. They can pull it up on a phone, 90% of it. But how do they discern what they're reading, whether it's accurate or not? How do they discern whether, you know, they, they, these types of things, those, those analytical skills that they need? So I think from a teaching standpoint, you're teaching content, but you're teaching about themselves and about life through your content. How's that? I, I think that's, it, it's spot on. And, and I, I think that's an important message for us all to be reminded of. Uh, myself included, because I, again, we're really reflecting on this tour today because I have to give these messages to these uh, understandably nervous eighth grade uh, families. And they're worried about handing off their most precious commodity to this large comprehensive site where you've got seniors walking up with full beards after a night shift, you know, and then you've got a 14 year old kid with his Batman lunchbox um, on the same campus. And are you suggesting not having a Batman lunchbox isn't good? Because like that's what I bring to school. So <laughs> well, I, I can literally show you mine right now. That's yeah. why I mentioned it because I still bring my Batman. Well, yeah, you do have figurines in your office. You have Shaz Shazam uh, over there. Action there. figures, thank it's you very bad. much. They are action figures. There's Please don't geek Pokemon shame me. over there. You're, there's no Pokemon. I'm too old for that. Yeah. Um, not not Pokemon shaming at all. I'm just too old yeah. for that. Um, but as a reminder of some of those messages of what this is about, you know, that we're building people and not transcripts and trying to break that stranglehold because, you know, we've seen, an, uh, you talked about it before with the pandemic and that sort of thing, sort of an epidemic of mental health in, in our teens, but that existed before the pandemic. The pandemic just turned up the volume on it. It's not like it all of a sudden showed up because of COVID. Uh, it was already there. It got uh, uh, worse and we're still seeing it and we're still seeing an increase even with the students back mm -hmm. and that's what got me thinking about uh the the role of schools too that it's got me a little uncomfortable is i think the expectation on schools is is getting close to debilitating where it you know there are people who are all about the content there are people who are all about the socialization there are uh um, people who are all about helping students find their pathway uh many of us and then there are those who expect us to fix every single one of society's problems. Uh, we let these cell phone companies make these incredible products and we're supposed to undo the damage somehow. Right. <laughs> and, but I majored in chemistry and I'm teaching an AP chemistry class. I'm sorry, I can't fix your student's phone addiction. Mm -hmm. I've got an AP chem uh, exam, you know, in, in teacher's defense that you are, uh, they're trying to teach the whole student, but there's this thing distracting them. So I'm, I'm looking at that like in terms of the role, that changing role that we keep getting, um, I don't want to say piled on because that's not fair. Cause, um, but the analogy I use with my APs today is there's this expectation that we're going to solve uh, teen suicide, uh, mental health. We're going to break addiction to vapes, to phones, to all of these things that just the world keeps throwing at schools to solve. And uh, my analogy was, it's like asking a firefighter to uh, be a vet. You were a trained firefighter, but yes, you work with animals in a burning house. So why can't you fix the animal too? I'm not a vet. <laughs> like I'm a firefighter. And that's kind of what we're asking of teachers and schools at, at times. Fix this other problem, even though you were trained in something else entirely. 
And that's what's got to be a little worried about the future. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think from a parent standpoint, attending to your students' mental health, your kids' mental health is probably really important. Not probably, it is. It is is very important. Um, I just got done. I'm preparing for a staff development on January 10th when we get back from the the holidays. And um, we're going to do a drill. It's not a drill. We're going to do a training on run, hide, and fight in case there's an active shooter. Right. And so I'm going in and I'm preparing this and I got done listening to the actual 911 call from Columbine and Parkland and the minute by minute account of it. And there was a piece of me, I got mad. I got mad that in a school, somehow it's been normalized and it's just what we do now. Yeah. How do we get in a society where this is normal behavior in a school and, and we all have to fix it? We, we, that's where we have to work together as yeah. families and school systems. And, and really, if we focus on developing the healthiest child, not just physically or academically, but socially, emotionally, the healthiest person going into an adult life, that's where our energy should be spent. And it's not going to, we're not going to solve it in the four years. We're setting them up for the next 80 that they'll grow into. Um, if our focus is solely on getting into college, we, we've missed the mark. Yeah, we're not listening to the kids. We're not letting them develop the way they need to develop, which will help avoid some of these negative behaviors. We're not going to solve mass shootings simply by making sure students are in CT pathways. I'm not right. going to simplify yeah. it that, that way. But I do think that we are continually in schools trying to force that square peg into a round hole and then we're scratching our heads and wondering why the kids are stressed, stressed why they're dropping out of college, why they're um, acting out on social media. We're not listening enough. We're talking at them and we've decided what, uh, uh, as you know, the name of the podcast, we've decided what's best for kids mm-hmm. rather than, as I've said before, the whole point of this podcast was to ask it as a question. Mm-hmm. Keep being curious about that and keep listening and let them change. Uh, because when we don't, that's when a kid doesn't know how to respond. Cause deep down, all a kid really wants to do is please their parents. Mm-hmm. They're probably loath to admit that. Even if they don't like their parents. Right. <laughs> right. I, I've been very open. My, my mom and I have a very troubled relationship, yeah. but I, it still like affects me when I feel like I've disappointed her for some reason. You know, we, we, and I'm 54 and she's 80 something. I don't even know. Um, so I, I want to get us back to really listening to the kids and letting them get that C and go, okay, you got to see what does that mean now? So we go slightly down this pathway rather than that script that we've written for them when they were two and nothing can deviate from that script. That's why I've got to mow everything out of the way and make sure they have no negative experiences. My, my younger daughter had a C in, uh, in her biology class and she she started with the, the teacher this and the teacher that and I said, stop. The teacher hates <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, that, that classic, yeah. What are you, what are you not doing that you need to do in order to improve that? And after she got past her own, you know, you know, wallowing in self-pity, uh, said and she was able to identify, I need to do this. You know, I need to study harder. I need to go in for office hours. I need to do all these things. And she did. Yeah. And she moved her grade up to a B or B plus. The, the joy that, and the pride that she got from increasing it. And I was very, you know, I was, I, I said, look, look, you did this. You made a conscious choice to make a difference. You assess your problem or assess the challenge that you had, own it, and then move forward with it. And now you've, you've raised your grade. That is something to be proud of. And that, that, that's the type of stuff we can do for our kids. And that's what builds that resilience in them long term. 
uh, because they've experienced that success rather than having that problem fixed for them. Right. You know, the, the angry email to the teacher, this can't happen or the meeting I get all the time. Well, if they get the C, they won't get into the top notch college. So the C has to be fixed. Well, no, that's not how this works. Right. Like right. the C is telling you something. So maybe that isn't the right fit. It, not everybody is supposed to go to Stanford. It's, that's just not how the system works. Mm. Make, find your college, find, find the college that fits your kid. Stop trying to make it right, fit the, the college. The two worst hires I ever made as teachers, wonderful people, really good human beings, wrong profession for them. Don't uh, use names. Don't use names. No. Graduate <laughs> degree out of Stanford, uh, PhD out of Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we've probably got to start wrapping this up. You and I could talk yeah, for a long time about this. I, I, I do want to say one thing because I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to come across as like my, this, you know, like all knowing about the education system. And, I, and I'm also this awesome father that, you know, raises these wonderful daughters. The reality is <laughs> I'm way better with other people's kids than raising my own. So I have the same challenges and the same blow ups and the same mistakes and that, that, you know, that that every other parent has it's it's not easy in raising a kid and that's why i think it's really important for the families to have trust in the school but mm -hmm. the school also have trust in their families and bring them into the conversations and have real conversations yeah. so and and you're you're probably one of the humblest guys i know and that's why i was really excited to get you because i know you're busy as you know as a high school principal to get down here late you know after our work day to do this um but you've got to give yourself some credit for the diverse experience you've got mm -hmm. public sector, um, uh, private schools, uh, opening a school, uh, diverse schools, being a superintendent at a, um, very high performing, uh, affluent, uh, area. So you've kind of done it all. So don't sell yourself short yeah. in terms of, but, but you're human, mm -hmm. you know, and yes, you're a fallible father and a fallible educator like the rest of us. Um, except for me, I'm perfect. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, just so you know, um, you were pretty good at AP though. So. <laughs> I, pretty good, but, but I, I certainly had my moments. Uh, I, I distinctly remember, uh, you called me out on one thing one time. It was very important and, and, uh, and haunts me to this day. Yeah, um, I don't remember what it was. It, so. it, it was, it was, it was, I won't even go into it, but it was like, I remember you looking at me directly going, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Right? You were very clear and we were like, yeah, he's absolutely right. I, I was wrong in that one. And um, uh, I had an angry parent meeting one time and Brett had to call me in and do the whole thing about trying to make a friend, not an enemy and all that. But I do think though humility and that's part of it. That's a skill in life is to learn that humility. Mm -hmm. And regardless of who you are as a young person, if you're always, you know, you, you're looking for your own self, your own growth and improving and all that stuff. But I also understanding that you don't know it all along the way yeah. and that's what the power and importance of relationships and connections are and helping kids learn that in school is also really important so and i want to go back to what you said before because i liked your term messy and i uh, i use that it's funny you say that because i had just said that to this this crowd today too that high school is messy and it should be messy uh they're going to get a c they're going to um have a breakup they're going to post something on social media that's really stupid that you're going to have to unravel and put the toothpaste back in the tube and that's okay. Cause that's, what's going to build them as, as people later. And that's what's I think got me worried a little bit about the, the piling on of the expectations of school. So to kind of close this out, where do you think we're going? I mean, you've got this diverse background. I, I trust your insight and uh, opinion on this. So I'm really curious about where you think, 
you know, are we at a breaking point? Is it getting better? Uh, what, what do you think the future of the role of a high school is? Um, I think the, where we're going is it, we really do need to be, um, more tailored to the individual student. The system is set up to educate them in masses using the factory model from what the early 1900s. Yeah. And it hasn't, that hasn't changed much, but the world that they're going into, there aren't the 30 year jobs anymore. Right. They're just not there. Um, there are, umpteen you know thousands of jobs that are not even around yet uh what is it just just yesterday the um they were able to develop a an energy source um through fusion yeah the, the that, cold fusion yeah, and, and yeah. mind you I, I i don't i can't speak to the specifics of it but at you know 40 years down the road we won't be relying on any fossil fuels anymore because of of this i mean to get to that point, it mm -hmm. takes the creative mindset. It takes thinking way outside of what's what we're used to. Uh, and I think education needs to move in that direction. Uh, you know, there's a, in special education, every student has an IEP and, you know, the, the individual education plan. Thank and, you for explaining that. Well, I know that you know that, but maybe there's right. some right, right. No, no, but, yeah. yeah, but, but the, but to a certain degree, we need really for every kid because every kid's different along the way. And the only way to get to that is for the, the parents in the schools to trust each other and really work together. Um, but the programs that are offered at school should be programs that offer kids different opportunities to really understand who they are as people, as I mentioned before, then also um, uh, give them an interest, something that they can pursue when they walk away. There's this guy on... Um, that I see on TikTok, Gary V. Have you ever heard of Gary V? No. He's a he's an investor in TikTok and Snapchat. Mm. I mean, all of these main things, and and he's pretty crass in his speaking. But a parent asked him one time. The show neither endorses nor supports. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, that's good. <laughs> but a, a parent, a, a mother, asked him one time. Um, uh, I have a. It was an eighteen year old. I have an eighteen year old that has no trajectory in life it doesn't have any he's not motivated to do anything and i'm really worried and and his response was what's your kid interested in and and then she you know kind of pushed back and said something to the extent that it was uh it you know she didn't believe in what he was interested in or something like that and he said here's the reality you could be it and this is his comment you can be a derelict for till you're 33 years old and if you figure out the direction that you want to go in your life and you know yourself you could have a really meaningful life moving forward. And I think that's really important to note is that it doesn't all, you can't win the game in high school. You don't win the game. If those are your best years of your life, it's, it's going to be a long life. You can certainly lose it though. And yeah. I think really focusing on kids' mental health, developing them as people, and I keep reiterating this, I think that's the direction we need to, we need to go. I think you're reiterating it because it's so important. It's what we've learned over the last, I mean, we got a chance during the pandemic to really stop and reflect and think about the purpose of schools when all of a sudden we had to reinvent education, you know, in some cases over a weekend, you know, I, I don't know about you guys. Uh, we shut down on the 13th and 13th and yeah. uh, I still remember going home and, and it rained that weekend and our house flooded. So I was dealing with the flood and then my, uh, my dad had cancer, so we had to figure out if he was moving in with us, like all of that at once. And like, oh, and by the way, take the last uh, this this 
career that's been the uh, the same for 150 years and change it by Monday. By Monday. Yeah, you're going to have to get an email to the community on how you're changing education by Monday. I think we also learned as a, as a world, too, that the function of schools is really important to the economy also. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you know, maybe there's a level of babysitting that's important and all that, but but also parents had the opportunity to see the curriculum that mm -hmm. was put together and no fault of teachers. I mean, they were learning something new for the first time, but there were some glaring things about what kids were learning that, you know, whether or not, whether or not they learned that, it, you know, in, in the scope of their life, oh, well. Um, uh, so I think school systems that are geared towards really working with the individual student and figuring and helping that student grow. And I know we deal with large numbers, so it's not realistic to say there's an adult on campus going to sit down with every single kid and coach them and walk them through. But we have, right. we have platforms, technological platforms kids can work through and facilitate it through educators. We have community supports that can come into school systems and provide um, the necessary resources for kids to feel safe in school. That, um, and uh, I, I think we really have to look at the school as a community coming together. I, and I, I, you know, I, when you were talking about the, um, uh, the the sort of Ford factory approach to education that that was true in the seventies. Like you showed up, you did your work, you shut up, and you you left. And when you start talking about the individual uh, part of it, I get you know a little uncomfortable. Twenty six hundred kids, I'm like twenty six hundred IEPs would be very very challenging individualizing it. But I I get what you mean. If if our structure can be, yes, you've got some standardized things you've got to go to. Yes, there's going to be thirty eight kids in a classroom. You're going to have to deal with it. Um, but if the structure allows them to be more independent and guide themselves through it, then they can decide what that pathway is rather than us constantly creating it for them. Uh, that will achieve both goals. They get a more individualized approach. They build a little more confidence, but we can still keep the general standards to educate 2,600 kids at the same time. You were a film, right? Yeah. Um, if you went into a film class and you were told, this is exactly what you're going to do. You're going to follow point A to point B to point C to point D. You wouldn't have been in film. Right. You wanted to be in film because it was creative. You could create exactly. something out of nothing. Exactly. Uh, we have kids at, at, there are kids that go to Torrey Pines High School. There's kids at Canyon Crest. There are kids at Vista High School that invent stuff on their own. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, there's examples, real life examples of kids that created something that has bettered society as a high school student yeah. and it, it wasn't a teacher that was sitting there pointing out and telling them exactly what they need to do it was here's how you go about research Way here's facilitate here, here's yeah. here's here's here are the elements that go into good research these are the steps that you need to consider as you're going through it what you research what you choose to actually pursue make it something interesting to you that's that's i think good instruction and i think that's a great place to close on great david thanks so much for being a part of this i really appreciate you making the time thank you my friend appreciated the time That's all for today's episode. I want to thank David for joining me today, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you stay curious and keep asking, what's best for kids? Thank you.